Hello and welcome to episode number 127 of The Sleeper and the Bust. This is your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me for this Tuesday edition is Eno Saris. Eno, tell everyone hello. <laughs> hello. That was very kind. It sounded very sweet. <laughs> I'm a tender lover. <laughs> Uh, we have a lot to get to today. I'm sure there are some news that some folks are quite eager to talk about or hear about. Uh, and uh, we also have a number of things, um, topics by request uh, that I uh, purposely didn't get to over the weekend because I figured folks had asked in part uh, to hear quite a bit uh, what folks from Fangraph specifically thought. So wanted to get into some of those with Eno today. Uh, really looking forward to discussing those. But uh, some, some major news has happened uh, in terms of rosters recently. So we're going to jump right into that. Uh, begin with some shakeups in the bullpen. And they start with the Rays. And Joe Madden has he says that he is going to go to a committee uh, in future save situations, at least in the short term. Um, now that Grant Balfour gave up five runs in an appearance against Seattle. And if you look at the win probability of that game, it was virtually even all game until basically Grant Balfour stepped into it uh, in the ninth inning. And that's, uh, I mean, it, this guy, this is a guy whose peripherals have kind of looked bad all season. Um, Colette has, has made the argument that, uh, I mean, if the, that he's, you know, he's, he's the guy here. Um, I, I, I've been skeptical myself based on a number of things that kind of worry me. Uh, how do you see uh, this going for the rest of the season? Do you think Balfour is capable of getting this job back? I, I think the question has to be what's wrong with him. I mean, we know that every once in a while he, he loses control of the zone, and it's, it's, particularly, um, it's particularly unfortunate given his name. But uh, we, I think that, like, uh, you know, I, I had some back and forth with Colette about this, about whether or not, um, whether or not he's injured or hiding an injury, because it, sometimes it seems that way. But I guess he's probably right in that the Rays don't have any reason to keep him out there if he is hurt. So, you know, they have uh, one of the best injury guys in baseball on staff and Josh Kalk. He's got a, 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 a zone finder, basically an injury zone finder that uses pitch effects to predict injury. Um, so they, they're turning the pitch effects engines on Balfour. They're, they're watching him. Everyone's talking to him. So, you know, I feel like if it was free, it would be known by now. Uh, so I'm assuming it's not injury and... Um, if it's not injury, then it's just sort of a bout of wildness, and then it's really just, I don't know. I guess my, the point of my rambling is he's under contract for next year, correct? I believe so, yes. It's a two-year deal, $12 million, I think. Right. So, uh, and, and I just wrote a piece about the Rays as sellers, and I, I think you know, maybe price goes just because they've, they've traded uh, star pitchers like him before. Um, but I don't think that it's going to be a full-on rebuild because a lot, most of this team is under contract for next year. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a team that certainly consider. I mean, obviously, a lot of folks. I mean, this was a team projected to win the division, um, and I don't think it'll 
it it may not change necessarily next season. This is a team that's all, often been pretty saber friendly. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I brought that up to Colette as far as you know, is this is this a guy who's hiding an injury or something like that? Uh, this was a few weeks ago, and you know, basically said you know the I mean, I mean, if you remember in the off season, this is a pitcher that uh, um, Baltimore they you know canceled contract on him because they said they were concerned about uh, some things they found in his uh, physical. And but this is uh, Colette reminded. I mean, this is a team that is really thorough with its medical checks and things like that. So I guess it's. I mean, it's hard to say that, the, that there was really anything to uh, the you know the the bottom uh, the Baltimore medical report. But I mean, it, it, it continues to make me wonder. But it's primarily. I mean, the, the there's a huge drop in velocity and the fact that he is really really far outside the zone. I mean, I, it doesn't have to be health related. It could just be. I mean, maybe maybe there's just something. Uh, uh, clearly physically diminished about him at this point. I mean, I don't, but whatever it is, it just is, it's so concerning to me that it's just, it, it doesn't seem like it's an easy fix. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just, it's kind of weird because uh, so velocity, uh, the, 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 the Josh Kalk sort of injury uh, trifecta is a velocity drop. So he's got two mile an hour velocity drop in one year. So that's, that's larger than you'd expect. And that's, that's number one. Uh, and then number two is a drop in zone percentage. Uh, that one's a little bit harder because last year he had a terrible zone percentage and he was fine. But this year he once again has a bad zone percentage. It's 6% below his average, 10% below the league average. Um, so he's got two of the markers. And uh, the, the sort of third marker would be uh, release points. So I'm going to try and uh, get that up. But... Um, you know, I, I feel like it just really just seems like um, like he's like he's having problems. And I don't know. And, I, and it might be injury problems. Um, and, you know, maybe it just hasn't manifested itself. Maybe it just seems like soreness to him right now. Maybe he's on his way there. But, um, you know, to figuring out that he's hurt or whatever. In any case, I do think that there's a chance he could back contract for next year because it behooves them to, to figure out who their closer is for next year as well as much as and because it does it does seem that for whatever reason uh, be it uh, trying to keep his arbitration costs down or the fact that they like he's a left-hander or that they like having him in early innings uh, Jake McGee doesn't seem to be the closer of the future for them um, and so what your left is is Joel Peralta who's a free agent um, Juan Carlos Oviedo is a free agent, and um, and uh, Grant Balfour is under contract. So I think there could be a, a sort of feeling out period. It's not like Walter Oviedo aren't without their own flaws. And so you're with uh, guy can he get it right? And if he can get it right, he's going to get his job back, I think. Yeah, I think that's an excellent – I mean, it's it's totally uh, – it's t- the the – the responsibility is with, or the onus is on. If Balfour does get it back, it seems like it's pretty much a certainty that he's going to get the job back. And uh, I, I can't help but yeah. I mean, I I agree as far as the McGee situation. I think that that's. I mean, that's going to be difficult for, to bank on him long term for saves, even though the the stuff is great and the work. Uh, a guy I want to mention in, in in this breath, I think is is a guy that he's been traded a couple of times. Uh, I think uh, they really seem to have gotten a lot out of Brad Boxberger. I'm not sure that, uh, I mean, he's not going to enter the picture for saves anytime soon. Uh, you know, maybe he's a guy who potentially in the long term uh, is a guy they look at more. He was always kind of fashioned as that 
potential closer down the road. Uh, really, really has stuff that's really hard to hit hard, uh, I think. I mean, it's kind of displayed in his line drive percentages against things like that. And he's a guy who intrigues me long term. There's a possibility there. But uh, I mean, the Rays always have such an unpredictable save situation um, heading into an offseason, I think. So um, I think this is I mean, it's a situation where you want to you want to own McGee because the stuff is great. And in the meantime, uh, you know, he may pick up the occasional save. Uh, and the other guys, I guess, as well. But uh, I mean, it's, it's it's a pretty thoroughly unpredictable situation, simply because it's going to be based on how Balfour responds in this situation. I just I'm not really optimistic that he's going to do enough to warrant getting back in that role for much of this season. Yeah, I do like Boxberger. Uh, you know, he seems to be commanding the ball a little better this year uh, than he has in the past. Um, and it, you know, I liked him in San Diego, especially. Um, but uh, he, you know, he got used in a loss. Um, you know, in the ninth inning, I think that's that's indicative of where he is, which is that sure, he'll sure. give him late inning spot, uh, late inning work, but not necessarily in wins. Sure. And if you sure. look, if you look at usage, I think it's Oviedo. I mean, I know that Peralta has also been pitching the eighth, but um, more recently, Oviedo seems to have leapfrogged him a little bit. And you know, I am, of course a little bit concerned with Oviedo's velocity. It's, it's not, it's down from where he was when he was healthy. Uh, I think he has like second Tommy John, or at least his first. Um, actually, I think it might be his second and he, you know, the name change and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that must've cost him a, a tick. I mean, it's kind of funny cause we're talking about ball four and oh my God, two miles gone. But uh, you know, we haven't seen Oviedo in, in two years, three years. I mean, he, the last time he pitched was 2011, and he had a 94-mile-an-hour fastball then, and now he's at 91-and-a-half. So, um, obviously, it's a little bit different situations because it's coming off of some injury. So, it's more like, yeah, he was injured. He is probably not completely healthy yet. But in terms of results, it's hard to sort of argue with, you know, double-digit swinging strike rate, strikeout per inning, um, you know, the, the, the ground balls aren't where they were when he was uh, at his best. But, um, you know, and, and Peralta had, you know, coming into his career in Tampa Bay, he was a roogie. Uh, you know, he couldn't get lefties out. And, yes, he's changed a lot since. But for some reason, I always seems super reluctant for the team to, to go to Peralta. And I, and I wonder uh, if uh, it has a little bit something to do with the fact that he's been caught a couple times for – um, cheating, and uh, you know that there's something to, with scuffing the ball in his history, uh, and I wonder if you know some days the ball has a lot of movement, some days it doesn't, and, and if there's something to that. But that's just uh, total speculation, not really in the numbers. Um, I would say the numbers favor Oviedo slightly. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that, and I think uh, I mean just an interesting point about Peralta. I think I, I know that. Uh... On a couple of occasions, at least in the past few years, in, in Peralta's time with the Rays, I mean, he's he's served in that role in an, on an interim basis. Uh, but for the most part, it seems like I mean, Madden has said this on a couple of occasions that uh, that um, that Peralta is a guy that he likes to reserve for certain types of matchups, and that he considers his uh, changeup to be really, really. Uh, effective to the point where he's actually happy. You know, he's he's and Madden has brought him in on occasion against left-handed hitters uh, for that purpose, um, and actually thinks that he at times is better against left-handed hitters. And I think 
maybe that's just kind of the excuse that goes along with what you said and they don't you know they're not going to come out and say right. oh well this guy cheats a little bit but <laughs> but regardless maybe, it's it's maybe, a, maybe it's sort of a, a blend of the two right maybe it's that the, the change up is slightly inconsistent and that people who see change ups really well um uh, can hit him well uh so that maybe they're they're protecting him from certain types of hitters that are good versus change ups or something like that yeah sure sure i mean it, you know, madden is is certainly aware of probably a lot of peripheral statistics that the Rays have given him. And so as a result, he knows that uh, maybe that just Peralta is very good in certain types of situations. And those are the ones, I mean, he, he likes to go to him when he needs an out in a certain type of situation and, and, you know, doesn't hesitate. That's when he prefers to go to him, but it doesn't seem like he always wants to go to him in, in general situations. So, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I like Oviedo there at least as far as the right-handed option goes and, and perhaps for the rest of the season, if, if he continues to get positive results, which is a little bit tricky. Uh, and uh, worth perhaps worth mentioning, uh, it was a, it's a victory that uh, Tommy Hunter finished off on Monday night in his first appearance since his activation from the disabled list. We talked about the possibility that Zach Britton would hold on to the closer's role. Uh, this, is, this was a game finished uh, in which the, uh, the Orioles led forward to nothing. Tommy Hunter ran into no issues. Uh, and we, Obviously, not a safe situation, but uh, I mean, it's... it's Encouraging for his owners that he was immediately used in a in a late inning situation, um, but doesn't necessarily say anything about how they're going to divide this. Uh, any any continuing thoughts? And and uh, just just so it's a talking point, uh, Derek Hardy, uh, awesome guest on Sunday night, and we thank him again for appearing. He he had, he, he believed that Britain was uh, had had strong doubts about whether Britain could could maintain uh, could remain in the picture for Sage, and so it's just it's. Something you maybe want to uh, maybe want to touch on uh, just for another minute. Well, I mean, one of the nice things is that the velocity um, came back with with Tommy Hunter. He he averaged over ninety six um, after the time off, so um, that that was good news. The velocity had been down a little bit in the early going, um, so uh, that that sort of thing tends to uh, stabilize really quickly. Um, so good on him for that. And I know that Zach Britton is a, a sinker slider guy um and you know there are often um repercussions for that i mean uh it, i don't know let me see how much his his mix has changed this year but i, I would say that like you know if you it, sinker curve is a little bit better than sinker slider uh but against left handed left handers uh the curve drops in whiff rate it's sinker um it, you know, he relies almost exclusively on the sinker to lefties. So that right there says to me there's a bit of a problem. Um, and, and, you know, it could sink him a little bit. I mean, 87% sinkers to lefties. And, you know, lefties, if they keep saying the same, same pitch, no matter how good it is, you know, they're, they're going to find a way to time it. So, you know, I guess there's a non-zero chance. Um it's not the. It's really one of the hardest things in baseball, I think, to do is to to figure out the closer's role. And everything's based on small samples, and uh, it's all in the manager's head. I doubt the GMs are saying a lot about uh, who should be the closer. So, and it's the GMs that I I sort of uh, tend to to trust the most because they're the guys with the most patience for the most part, and they're the guys who are looking at the numbers and so on and so forth. So. You know, we're at the whim of the manager, um, and that's why I said in the past, you know, this manager has liked a, uh, a sinker curve guy in the past and, um, and has stuck with him. So 
you know, it, it could happen again. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, primarily what bothers me about Hunter is that um, for at least a year and a half now, I mean, he's experienced that great increase in velocity. I understand that that's appealing. I mean, that's one of the things that you've said uh, oftentimes that that's one of the first things you look for um, is who's the guy with the velocity and a very attractive attribute. But Hunter just has not, he's not necessarily translated, translated that into more effective pitching, especially or at least against left-handers. And I mean, he continues to get hit hard. That seems to be kind of a trademark as far as the line drives against him, hard hit balls against him. Uh, it's not, um, I mean, I, I think what and bothers me about, I mean, he's, he's given up a lot of hits on the road. He's given up a lot of home runs at home, the fly ball lean. I mean, there's just, there, to me, there's just so much about him that makes me nervous in any given time. If I, if I own him, I mean, I, again, I mean, the velocity is great, but if, if it's not, if it's velocity, uh, that doesn't have great, uh, part of it is the, the movement. Um, I mean, that goes along into, into velocity. If the movement is not great, I haven't looked at, uh, you know, say pads and breaks and things like that, but um, it leads me to believe that, that that's an issue for him. And it just is a pitcher who is, I mean, hey. to me, he's a regular guy, no matter how fast he throws. Yeah. The really, really astute observation there, dude. Uh, I just ran today, um, the average horizontal movement on, um, on a right-handed fastball, uh, because I kind of wanted to see what was a straight fastball and what wasn't. And, um, you know, I was doing it for this Kevin Gossman piece. And, and I think, you know, Kevin Gossman has average um, uh, movement on his fastball in terms of horizontal. Um, Tommy Hunter has a straight fastball. I'm pretty sure of this. It, he has a, he has three inches of movement on his fastball, and the average has six. Whew. So, you know, there were some whispers that Gossman's fastball is av- it was straight because it was average. This guy has half the average when it comes to horizontal movement. Now, he has some, some decent vertical movement, but I think that horizontal movement is what creates ground balls, is what creates problems, especially you're talking about two-plane movement when, you, when you've got a lot of sink and you've got some movement left to right. So if he's got, you know, a fastball that, um, that's, uh, that, that's sort of straight horizontally and then he's got this big bending curveball, I think that in a way what you're seeing is that they, these, these things look so different that hitters are just like, up, oh, curveball, up. Oh you know, fastball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's, I mean, there's clear distinction between the pitches. They're very easy to identify. Uh, and also, um, in the case of the fastball, especially very easy to hit. And I, th- yeah. I mean, that's just, it, it, it just concerns me going forward. I mean, he's, he was whip rate on a 95 mile an hour fastball. I was worried about Gossman because Gossman has a 6% whip rate on his 95 mile an hour fastball. But, uh, right here, three percent whiff rate for for that ninety five mile hour fastball. That's bad. I mean, the average fastball gets seven percent whiffs. So right, and and if you look, I mean, the strikeout rate didn't jump. I mean, we're we're at nineteen yeah. percent this year, twenty percent last year. It didn't jump drastically, um, despite the move to the bullpen and the huge leap in velocity. And that was, I mean, to to me, that's kind of a red flag about this. The potential for a straight fastball is uh, not a huge jump in the rate and. I mean, it, to me, it kind of says it says Matt Lindstrom, for instance. I mean, I know it's a guy who said I don't know uh, uh, what the uh, what the breaks on his uh, fastball are either, but it's a, it's been a pretty straight pitch just in my observation. Uh, but in general, it's 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 the the strikeout rate hasn't improved a great deal, uh, and and it's still a fly ball pitcher. I mean, if it's not something that is generating ground balls, then um, what then where's the movement? And uh, if if that is saying that it's not there, and it just it. It just sounds like he's a pitcher. I, I would rather 
I'd rather own Britain, even though he's a left-hander, even though he may have some platoon splits down the road. He's just a, a better pitcher to me, and I think yeah, that that's like it seems like he's in the middle of like a real standout campaign. I mean, yes, you know, the velocity it, has jumped a great deal for him, and it's making it. And it seems to be making a difference. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Mariano, Mariano had a nice six had a mid nineties cutter that he could really put in the right place. And he threw that thing over and over again. It was 85%, of the, 85, 90% of the time. I can't even tell you what a second pitch was. So, you know, it, Britain's getting like 80% ground balls. It's nasty, nasty sinker. And, you know, the, the, the flip side is that these guys aren't going to see him a ton of times. And they aren't necessarily going to get, you know, they don't see him like three or four times a game, right? They see him once, and then they don't see him for two weeks, and they see him once again, maybe. So... Um, at least the first time through the league, I feel like Britain Britain has the standout skills that I'm looking for. And since velocity is about equal, and neither is a great strikeout rate guy, I can't fall back on my you know gas and strikeouts uh, sort of fallback. But you can fall back on the ground ball rate in a especially in a homer happy yard. Yeah, uh, much more so beneficial for the for Britain, I think. Um, and it's what is not beneficial for the Tigers is when Joe Nathan steps into a game, no matter the situation, it seems anymore. But Brad Ausmus uh, is saying that he's not even considering stripping his veteran of the closers title. However, uh, I mean, obviously, Job Chaver used in a safe situation on Sunday night. That didn't turn out well, which is not entirely unpredictable. But, uh, I mean, Chamberlain has put up some good numbers. Do you think that this is just a coincidence based on the fact that Chamberlain uh, is get, gets this, uh, <clears throat> I mean, he gets this appearance and doesn't do anything with it. It's a lot more, it's a lot easier and more convenient to say that he's not considering the switch because of that result. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it was an interesting situation. I don't, I don't know about uh, Nathan's availability. He had been pitching a lot lately, so uh, it may just had, have had to do with that. Uh, but uh, David Ortiz made Chamberlain look pretty bad in that one regardless. So uh, we know that Joe Nathan has the old man disease, as you have commented. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't look like a pretty situation. Is there even anything to add to that at this point? Uh, other than, I guess, uh, maybe you want to own both pitchers, at least in deep leagues, but uh, uh, hopefully Joe Nathan discovers a fountain youth at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, you could give him, you could give him the, the phantom DL uh, stint. That's, that's something I've actually heard about, a little bit um, in in uh, in baseball, you know, I'm not allowed to. I can't source it to anybody, but it's the one thing that I that I have heard a little bit about, you know, because I, I I get very little inside information. I mean, the players don't have any reason to trust me yet, but <laughs> uh, you know, from what I've heard, they're a their mistake, times, huh? Their mistake, right? Well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, the jury's still out. Uh, the uh, that some of them have said, you know, oh, well, I wasn't really hurt. They just wanted, they just basically gave me the choice of, you know, uh, sitting down or being released or, you know, something like that. So, um, you know, some, some DL stints, we, I think we've all thought this was a possibility, but some DL stints are not necessarily um, real uh, DL stints um, in that there's an actual very specifiable problem that wasn't there before. So, you know, maybe they maybe they give Nathan one of these uh, two-week breaks and say his glute hurts or his bat hurts or whatever, and, um, you know, maybe a week off of throwing. Because he is, he's down, not only is he down, you know, from last season to this season, but he, he'd actually, 
gotten the fastball back up to about 93, 94 for a little bit uh, this season. And now it's back again down to 92. So um, I see a lot of actual movement in this in this uh, fastball chart. So I mean, it started at 92. It peaked around 94.8, um, which was just a really nice outing there. And then it, it stuck around at 93 for a little bit, 94. And now it's down again. So I, I think they, they, they could find a, a little DL stint. And that would be a, an interesting semantics way to say, oh, we never really removed him as closer. He was hurt, so we put him down for a couple of weeks. And Jabba uh, came in, and we all remembered why we wanted Joe Nathan. And so we went and got Joe Nathan back from, from his DL stint. I can see something like that happening. But otherwise, this team is probably going to stick with the veteran. It's just, it's just how, they're, how they're built and you know, why they went and got him. For sure. And... Um... You know, maybe they put him down for two weeks, or maybe they put him down like Old Yeller. Uh, I think it's <laughs> when that word came out of my mouth, I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was, yeah, there's a funny to be made there. Um, <laughs> some some changes, real quick, just to touch on uh, before, and we get into some things that Eno would like to talk about about one of his favorite, and I, I'm interested here because I like him as well. Uh, but uh, just some, some quick changes to. Very unlikely that these are long-term things, but uh, both the Angels and the Rockies have had to make switches to the rotation. Tyler Skaggs and Eddie Butler, respectively, are headed to the disabled list. Hector Santiago is coming back from a brief exodus uh, to to step in for Skaggs. This is a short-term thing, but uh, any reason to think that this is an optimistic uh, or any reason to be optimistic here that he's going to impress enough to stick around uh, and replace Matt Shoemaker as this kind of a uh, occasionally skipped fifth starter <laughs> that's the, the highly coveted role <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 hey hey it's a major league role so it is but um i i i don't know i don't think so he's he's actually thrown the screwball more this year which makes him interesting but uh i think bodes poorly upon the rest of his line uh because it's not a really good pitch and if he can't get it down it leads to homer so um you know, I don't know. The screwball makes him interesting. The rest of his line makes him really uninteresting. He's one of these guys that's got a slightly above average fastball, but nothing else. I mean, his changeup gets 9% whiffs this year, 33% ground balls, and that he throws it more twice, twice as much as any other pitch he's got. Uh, the curve, 3% whiffs. The average there is 11. The cutter, 2% whiffs. The average there is like 9. So it's all bad. It all looks really bad. Um, and to be honest, going into this, I thought he might have an average changeup and a slightly above average fastball and nothing else. And now those things are almost out the door, too. So I think, you know, I think they did a really, really good job in Chicago selling Hector Santiago is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought I did think that there was a possibility here that the Angels or that he could salvage something. He has worked some some high stress innings. Uh, has been really poor, uh, really, uh, uh, what's the opposite of a beneficiary? He's been a victim of uh, some really bad defense behind him. Again, what is, I, mean, I wrote about him uh, a few weeks ago when they demoted him. And uh, just, you know, the possibility that this could be closer to a league average pitcher if he had gotten some of these things in his favor. But, I mean, I think ultimately, like, this is just, this is an emergency situation. And I, I'm, I do feel that if he that uh, a long term purgatory could cure him of some of these things, um, but it's I mean this is certainly not a guy to be interested in. I, I wouldn't even honestly I wouldn't want to throw him in there in an AL only league, 
Um, just, uh, you, you know, if I, even if I was desperate for some innings, I'd rather throw a, a reliever in there because I don't think he's anywhere close to, to making this go away. So uh, it just really doesn't look like a great situation. But uh, perhaps could be for Tyler Matzik, uh, I think 2011 high round pick, maybe first round pick for Colorado. He steps in now that Eddie Butler is on the disabled list, um, uh, which is kind of a disappointing surprise uh since i mean and and the the debut was auspicious eddie butler <clears throat> with a uh inflammation in the right rotator cuff really poor timing that is that as far as that's concerned but uh any chance that tyler magic sticks around and perhaps uh displaces uh, and christian bergman had a pretty solid debut uh, on monday night uh, at least results wise and i'm sure the the rockies will take that uh and, and gives him some some leeway here and this could i mean who knows how long this is going to keep butler out they're probably going to handle him with kid gloves so i mean slightly interesting perhaps for nl nl only players yeah you know his shoulder and rookie together i think means they're yeah that's something to worry about i'm a little bit i'm a lot more worried about eddie butler's shoulder than i have about tyler skaggs hammy um especially since tyler skaggs you know he's been around a little bit. He's not a veteran yet, but you know, I think that they are ready to let Tyler Skaggs pitch as many innings as he wants to, basically. Whereas I don't think they would. You would say the same thing about Eddie Butler. Um, so they have a reason to take it slowly. They're you know they they have sort of innings limits in mind probably already for Eddie Butler. So here's a good way to to, to keep him below that. Um, and then they they have some other options. And you know people for, might forget that Tyler Matzek had a lot of uh, sort of pos- prospect pedigree at some point, and, and you know a lot of people were interested in him. Um, you know, then he walked everybody, <laughs> and so then everybody stopped uh, caring about him. But for what it's worth, uh, I do think uh, control and command are one of the best, the best, the things that come with age that that, that pitchers learn. They learn what pitches they can't command and what pitches they can use and and how to how to place them and they their mechanics get more shored up. So, the fact that Matzek's best walk rate came this year, even though the results weren't amazing, he was at Colorado Springs. So you have to give him you know a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and and sort of concentrate on what he was doing well, which was finally putting up you know almost a ten percent walk rate, which <laughs> for him was is uh, is definitely progress uh, that's a lot of progress so and you know it, with the guys that that have a little bit of a crazy walk rate but crazy good stuff you know sometimes they they can they can do well uh upon entry into the major leagues just because um people you know just pretty much swing more often i think at, at people they've never seen before um so they they might give him they might um you know they might give him the benefit of the doubt and swing at his pitches rather than you know just let them all walk, go by. Any case, um, I would uh, roster him. I would. I, I might go pick him up in some of my deepest of leagues just in case because it does seem like there's an open slot here, right here, and there are two or three guys battling for it, and we never know what's going to happen with Eddie Butler. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Matzik's, I mean, an attribute is velocity, uh, I believe. Uh, I think um, the consistent kind of slow not necessarily overall uh, encouraging, but still nevertheless, I mean, it's, it's encouraging in the sense that he continues to have kind of improved that control as he's risen. Um, it does say, I mean, perhaps there, and again, this is uh, his first exposure to AAA. 
uh, and at Colorado Springs for much of it. I think it is kind of encouraging and perhaps even a little more encouraging um, since it has come in in, uh, in conjunction with his his rise to the farm system. Um, so I think I, overall it's positive, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, in the end, it's an NL only venture. Um, and uh, be, but it'd be interesting to see how it turn out. What and uh, I'm really interested to see what you think is going to turn out. This is a piece that Eno has written about. He's uh, penned a piece on this player today, and uh, we're going to be getting to a couple of things, uh, a couple more things related to Baltimore. But uh, primarily, it's, it's got to be a, a topic of interest. Is Kevin Gaussman? This player we talked just a little bit about on Sunday, but I mean, he had a great start on Saturday against the A's. Um, you know, what, what are we looking at for, you know, when is this guy a part of the rotation? Why is it going to happen? And what's it going to look like once he is? I mean, it seems like for the foreseeable future, he's, he's in, I know that there's a little bit of an injury, uh, that's, that's opening the way for him, but they've already tried this once where, um, even when Miguel Gonzalez was healthy, they, uh, they, they gave him, a, a Miguel Gonzalez's slot and then it didn't work out that one time. So, uh, I think that they think, uh, like I think, which is that, you know, if they if they don't make a trade, Gossman's their biggest potential for an upgrade in the in the in the rotation this year. Um, so, you know, either Gossman ends up in Chicago and they get the shark or Gossman is is their shark. So uh, I think they probably want to look at him a little bit and see if he can be uh, the upgrade without actually trading away all those years of control. And um you know, honestly, I, I think that it's kind of funny that he's up against the Shark because, you know, Jeff Samarja had uh, iffy control, great fastball, um, great splitter, and uh, okay slider. And he's turned that into a really good repertoire that really works for him. Command has improved. Everything's good. Um, the one thing I would say about Gossman is, his, like we were just saying earlier, his fastball is straight, uh, but it's not as straight as Tommy Hunter's. So, you know, <laughs> it's just... It's a, it's a fastball that's very interesting because it's average in movement but above average in velocity. And, and <clears throat> apparently that means that his uh, swing strike rate is going to be below average, which is an interesting combination. But in any case, um, 96-mile-hour fastball, amazing splitter, uh, really, really nice splitter, 40, like 30% whiff rate, just really good splitter. Better than, than Jake's uh, Shamarza's in, in, a, in a small um, – you know, small uh, sample, but uh, he also has a second changeup, which is I just wish he that second changeup was a slider because it's a twenty percent whiff rate, but um, it's just uh, it's you know it's not a breaker. And the problem right now is that his slider gets nine percent whiffs. It's just a bad breaker, and um, you know that you know he just doesn't have something that looks different. And you know, I talked to Tim Hudson, I, I've talked to other pitchers about this, and and they all agree. You know, when I talk to uh, Irvin Santana and, and um, uh, Gavin Floyd about their changeup, their search for a changeup. They basically said that they want to throw over the top like a fastball. They want uh, to keep their shoulder closed because that is better for their, their uh, mechanics. And so that type of pitcher that, you know, has a really good breaker, wants to keep his shoulder closed and wants to throw over the top, they have a hard time developing a changeup, I think. And, um, and that's why they had weird grips for the changeups, and uh, why I think that you know some people you know have great changeups and struggle to find breakers, and some people have great breakers and struggle to find changeups. So what you have is uh, you have this guy who's got you know two parts of, of, of three for for a great package, and um, 
and you just don't know how long it's going to take for him to develop it. And I, I brought up Cole Hamels because Cole Hamels had a, uh, had a bad curveball for four years, and he, he still throws a little bit, but it's gotten better since. But he also developed a cutter, um, and the cutter changed everything. The, the problem is that in Baltimore, uh, they hate the cutter. So uh, I don't know that, you know, the, the, the question is when is he going to figure it out? But, you know, just because the, the fastball has regular platoon splits, and the changeup has, has opposite platoon splits. You know, a guy who just has a fastball and change is ahead of a guy who has a fastball on a curve or a fastball on a slider. So um, I still like it. I'm buying. I, I will put him on my bench um, for that Toronto start because if he does well in that Toronto start, it, you know, I don't necessarily trust him enough in a mixed redraft to throw him against Toronto. Uh, but if he does well against Toronto, that's too excellent offenses two very different offenses that he will have shut down in 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 two weeks and i think it'll be very hard for baltimore to sit him after that yeah that's that's certainly true um if he's if he's successful against toronto uh i think what do you think this is this uh discussing it made me curious do you think it's a uh, pitch uh the splitter for him that would would it lose effectiveness if he started to throw it more often the splitter yeah yeah, I, I think in general, uh, people don't like to use it too much. It's very hard to command, even though he has a decent walk rate, ball rate on it. I, I, I think that it's, a, it's definitely a two-strike thing. And, you know, when you look at his, his, his whiff rate, you might say, well, if he has such excellent stuff, why is his whiff rate so low? I think it's because um, he's just not getting into the, the right counts to throw that splitter. And he's not getting into the right counts to throw the changeup and get the strikeout. So... Um, it, it's a combination of that and the, and the some semi-straight fastball. So, um, you know, if you if the if your fastball gets six percent whiff rates and you throw it, you know, sixty to seventy percent of the time, your whiff rate is going to regress towards six percent. It's interesting that he's not getting uh, if he's not getting into strikeout counts too because he's thrown uh, first strikes sixty nine percent of the time. Or maybe that's part of the reason. Maybe he's just inducing contact and he's pitching to contact a little more frequently. Um, I mean that's a great first strike rate. That's yeah, that should that's be that should be related to a really good walk rate. It should be putting him in the position to start throwing that splitter. So uh, maybe people are just spitting on the splitter because you know the fastball's so straight. They want to get back to the fastball. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I I on some level I want to trust my eyeballs on this one. When I watch him, I I there are many times where I say yeah, baby. <laughs> that I- was. That's what I want on my team. I'm, I'm I'm much the same way. I'm like I'm 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 worried about throwing him in there uh, at times in in like you said in a mixed redrafter, but I want in on this uh, because I just foresee it getting better and only yeah. getting better. Yeah. Um, and uh, what gets better also is the Pittsburgh Pirates' lineup today, uh, at least in theory. Uh, they have this is the big news uh, that a lot of the fantasy viewers have been waiting for, excited about, is that they have called up Gregory Polanco. Uh, this is it's actually happened. You can uh, you can pinch yourself. Uh, he is batting second. Um, I guess there's been some question about where he would hit. They've talked about wanting to use him at the leadoff spot, um, and maybe that's you know that's where he's eventually going to end up. Uh, unfortunate that Neil Walker had to go on the disabled list, and that's kind of a 
the the move and the sort of this damages Josh Harrison in the in the in the long term at least. And not that anybody's depending on this guy anywhere except in the lonely leagues, but that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but uh, Polanco, uh, ready ready to take the world by storm. What do you what do you think about this call up? I've said for a, for a while that I really like his plate discipline and puts him in the right buckets to succeed. Um, you know, the 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 strikeout rate went up a little bit, but it's still it's never spent a day above average since rookie ball. Um, so he's uh, really improved his command of the strike zone and, and understands um, how to take a walk. I'm not sure that he'll walk, you know, a lot. I don't think he'll be like a 10% walk guy in the, in the major leagues, but I do think he'll uh, be around average um, in walks below average in strikeouts or better than average in strikeouts, um, around league average in power. And then, you know, he stole 15 bags this year. You know, last year across all the different levels, he stole 38. Um, and the year before, he stole 40. So I, I would say that I like him um, sort of in a, in a full season pace. I like him right now to be like a 275, uh, 15, uh, 20 guy, 15, 25 guy. So maybe what I thought Marte was going to be before he came up, something like that. Yeah, that's kind of where I view him as like Marte. And I, I... I, I guess I have, I'm a little skeptical that the power will show up in the majors right away, but there's probably not really a lot of reason to to to, to feel that way. I mean, he, he certainly hit for power in spring training. Uh, not that there's a huge amount you can take away from that, but uh, I mean, maybe well, maybe Pittsburgh's park conspires against him a little yeah. bit. It really suppresses home runs, uh, I think, to right uh, to right field more so. Um, so and, and you know, a couple of the parks that they're going to visit, they would visit there. Uh, are not real friendly uh, in right. general, but uh, I mean, uh, really exciting player. I, de- I mean, regardless, it's a player you want because he's going. He, he there's. Uh, I, I think. I mean, to me, I'd rather have him redraft, or I'd rather have him than than Tavares rest of the season. I think. I think he's more easily. He's more easy to predict as far as helping me and uh, and helping me in the two categories I care about most. Uh, as far as counting goes, especially in the stolen bases, I know he's going to impact me there. Whereas Tavares, yes, I mean, there's no questioning. I mean, Tavares easily has the skills to outdo him uh, and is a better player to own in the long term, I think. But, uh, I mean, it may be close. And, again, you talk about the failure rate of prospects. It's not, Nothing is a given. But, uh, I mean, rest of season this year, to me, type of skill set that Polanco has. He hasn't had the interruptions the way Tavares has. I like Polanco rest of yeah. season. Yeah, those are, those are really good points. Also, I do think you're right to wonder about the power. It hasn't been the kind of power where he was above a 200 ISO ever in the minor leagues. He was kind of just right there. So he's somewhere between league average and above league average um, every year. So it's not like standout um, you know, power where you can say, okay, you know, this guy really um, hit, you know, smacked the ball. So, I mean, if you think about it, Lucas Duda had better ISOs in the minors. And I'm not saying that they're all really comparable, but – you know, and he's a lot younger than Duda was, and so on and so forth. But my point is, you know, this could turn out to be a guy who only hits like ten homers a year. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have Duda the rest of the season than I'm totally kidding. Please do not. <laughs> no, but uh, but he could only end up being a guy who has ten homer power. But I, would I I agree with you that I I prefer him to Tavares for this year only because. Um, he just has the potential to give you five categories. I mean, he, he, 
So the, the floor for him in fantasy is higher because if, even if he only hits two or three or more homers the rest of the way or, you know, whatever he does, he probably will steal you some bags, whereas Tavares can only hit two or three more homers and won't steal you any bags. Right, right. Um, so that's what it's worth. Yes, absolutely. And uh, for what it's worth, the Twins have added Kendrick Morales to the lineup. Talked about this a bit, a bit on Sunday, but we want to get Eno's thoughts on uh, what he means to Minnesota and uh, perhaps any repercussions or what does it say about Minnesota's outlook for the rest of the season? What does it say that they went out and signed this guy? Well, they're they're always delusional, so <laughs> uh, I you know whatever that they actually are in a in a you know with a wild card, most people are in it anyway. So you know I I wonder if it means that Meyer will come up soon. It, if that's if that's what delusion gets us, then that's fine with me because I like Alex Meyer. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, when it comes to you know what Morales can do, I, I would say that I was a little worried that this is probably the worst home park he could have signed with, um, considering that I thought was pretty sure that um, that uh, uh, that he wasn't going to sign with Pittsburgh. So you know. He did sign with a bad homer part, but you know he's been playing in Seattle for a long time. I don't, you know, I don't see this as a, that big a deal. You know, I think he's the he's a two seventy five twenty homer guy um, wherever he goes. Uh, prorated, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, twenty twenty five uh, prorated. I think so. This year, I think he would probably you could you could ask him to hit you fifteen homers the rest of the way with a two seventy five average. It is interesting to see that. Over his career, he's had a lot more power from uh, against righties. Um, so I don't know if there's a natural platoon partner uh, waiting for him. Uh, forget. I think Kubel's a lefty though. So he's DFA'd. Adios. Okay. Bye bye. Um, well, I don't see a natural platoon partner for him at DH, and they'll probably just stick him at DH. But there might be games where they put Maurer at DH um, and. Parmalee at first and and give Morales a day off, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's uh, yeah that's possible. I think I would I would venture to say this is a player that they spent. I mean, even prorated his contract is a significant amount of money for a team that's uh, certainly delusional a or, or uh, uh, considers itself a contender or whatever it wants to call itself. So I mean, there's probably going to be a lot. They're they're going to. They're going to run him out there pretty much all the time unless he starts to really show a drastic split, I would imagine. So, I mean, it's just... Here's our here's our brand new signing. We haven't had one in forever. I mean, other than Maurer, but... <laughs> Yay. Kendrick Morales. This team is... I think this team is destined to win the World Series this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's... Uh, moving to an interesting situation, I think, in, in Baltimore um, is... Um, Major League Baseball has handed down a suspension to Manny Machado. He is he's expected to appeal it. Not sure that he has yet, but he's expected to appeal it. I'm sure that'll come. Uh, and also, Dan Duquette was asked. I mean, he has not said he's not ruled out a demotion for what I guess you would call the struggling uh, burgeoning star. Um, since who? I mean, he has not performed uh, extremely well since he's returned from that knee injury, uh, knee surgery. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. He's done some things. He did some things, obviously made some, uh, plenty of headlines, uh, over the weekend for his, uh, immature behavior, perhaps to say the least, uh, against Oakland. Um, I, I found that rather disappointing, actually. I, I think it, it didn't strike me necessarily as the type of player who was 
going to display those kind of things. Uh, but I mean, he's, it, it strikes me this is just a case of kind of some immaturity. I think maybe part of the part of the idea of the possible demotion uh, is it at least to say that is like to to be a wake up call on, uh, for him in the sense that it's, hey, uh, we expect you to act a little more professionally and things like that. Um, uh, I don't think. I mean, I I don't think that any anything uh, that I see in his numbers. This is just after a quick glance, but anything in his number says, okay, this is a guy that needs to work out some issues in the minor leagues. Uh, but it, it, so I think that there's some combination of the two things working here, uh, and it's not necessarily going to happen. But it's certainly, I would think that this is the kind of thing that gets fantasy owners' attention when the, when a when a GM or vice president of player personnel, excuse me, makes a, makes a comment like that. It has to be related to what's going on right now and in a way probably sort of assuaging the public that, yes, you know, we're not mollycoddling him and, uh, you know, he, he needs to know this. It may have actually served its point just by putting it out there. He may have just said that in order for it to filter down to the player and, and sure. player, you know, knows that, you know, his ass is on the line. I, you know, as for Machado the player, and I am um, – upset about uh i'm actually more upset about the back swings and his reaction with norris because yeah he hit norris twice and was unapologetic and i mean great come on these catchers get beat up are you really you you have no you have no sympathy for a guy just hitting the head with a bat um who who just gets pounded on back there so like I, i that one I don't know. The 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 throw. I mean, it looked like he had a smirk on his face at the reaction of that. Piece. Right. That that was really. Uh, I think that really put him in a bad light. And I think that's why everyone just assumes that he uh, threw the bat on purpose. And when I watch it, I don't know that I'm 100 percent sure, like everybody else, that he threw the bat. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, I. If you remove that all all the context and you saw that play, that that play happens a lot. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh... It was dis. I mean, it's it's dis. Like you said, I mean, like the timing for that could not have been worse because uh, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, it's like it's really hard to say. I mean, that's a, the the fraction of time that it takes to make the decision to let go of the bat there. Yeah, it seems like. I mean, that's yes, he could have made that in that particular moment, but uh, I mean, in that case, I'd have to think that there are a lot other a lot of other sinister hitters in the league who have have done such things and probably some guys who are really upset with some of their fans. Uh, <laughs> so I think, I mean, it's, I think that's an unfortunate byproduct. Um, uh, I was, I was same reaction as far as the Norris thing. Uh, and just part of me, part of this makes me wonder, I mean, it's, I'm, you know, I've, I've been known to dabble in some amateur athletics myself and, and uh, I've, I've had uh, a temper at times. I mean, I, I, uh, it's frustrating sometimes when you're not getting the kind of level of performance you expect from yourself. And sometimes this thing kind of, uh, that kind of thing manifests itself in funny ways, especially for players who are young, uh, immature and haven't really learned to work those, you know, haven't matured in a, in a, yeah. in, a in an emotional sense. Um, and, and maybe that's something that's manifesting in his game or uh, that is manifesting, uh, in, in terms of his, uh, his attitude toward opponents and things like that. And, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, what Duquette has said at this point, this could this alone could have served a purpose. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, but if he continues, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I would, I would expect that he kind of changes, he he uh, changes his attitude uh, from now on. Uh, but I mean, if if 
he continues to act this way or perhaps even acts out it just, you know, the, the reaction, uh, I think at this point to this assertion uh, is going to be interesting because that, that would say a lot about him and, uh, perhaps, you know, just, uh, what to think of him, uh, even in fantasy terms, if this turns out to be a player who becomes a problem, I don't really think that that's by any means going to, going to be the outcome, but, uh, uh, I think coming days will be telling as, as a player though, I, I mean, if, if if you take the name off of this, I and I know that scouts like him, and I can and I can see in the numbers potential for sure, um, and and he did have a decent season last year. But there are so many things I don't like about him as a player, uh, and just in terms of uh, play discipline stats and stuff like that. So, for example, uh, he had low-ish batting averages. He had low batting averages in the minor leagues for his strikeout rate, and. I, you know, why would you, why would that be, you know, and why were his minor league Babbitts under 300 in the minor leagues? Almost everybody has a 330 Babbitt. So I think good, he was, he was really young for his levels. I mean, he's still 21. Yeah, that's, and that's, so that's why there's promise in the numbers. That's, but in terms of actual results the things I don't like, I'm just going to list them. Uh, he, so when he got to the major leagues, really high infield fly ball rate. So really high pop-up rate. Um, and, uh, and maybe it's a little, it's not as high because really what you're supposed to take is take info fly ball rate times fly ball rate. Uh, that's, that's a better stat is pop-up percentage. But still, it's a pretty high pop-up percentage for who he is. And it, and it is an easy way to look at his batted ball mix and say, oh, that's the one number that's out of whack. Um, and that's a, no, that's a number that can depress your batting average on balls and play a lot. Uh, then I look at his, uh, his walk rate and his strikeout rates. His strikeout rates are approaching... Major league average, his walk rates are terrible. Then I look at his um, his reach rates, and he reaches a lot of pitches. And right now, uh, as a young man, is making good contact um, on pitches outside the zone. But that's not a skill that ages well. Just look at sort of the Josh Hamilton um, type. And uh, so what I see is, uh, and then I and then I look at the, the stolen base success rate, where he got caught more times than he was successful last year. And um, and then I see the power outcomes, and I wonder if he's not overrated. If we're not just looking at a guy who's going to hit 260, you know, with 15 homers and two or three stolen bases um, over the next couple of years, uh, at a sort of yearly pace. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think. Uh, I think those are excellent points. I th- we're still very much in the development phase of Machado, and that's something to keep in mind. Is like, this was a player that I was. To be honest, I wasn't really interested in from a fantasy perspective in redraft leagues. Is uh, uh, the combination of these things? I mean, it's still very young, um, it's still developing skill set in a number of ways, and uh, I think people really underestimated the impact of the the knee surgery that he had. It wasn't. This is not quite the same thing as returning from a torn ACL, um, but it's a little more serious than say a partially torn PCL or something like that. Or maybe that was what he had. I forget. But this is, I mean, this is a surgery that was supposed to have sidelined him for three plus months and ended up actually keeping him out for longer. Uh, you know, they were at one time optimistic that he was going to be ready for opening day. Uh, yeah. Then that slowly went away. And now, I mean, he, he missed the first month of the season, essentially. So, uh, I mean, and, and uh, lower half, uh, especially for young players uh, who are not necessarily. Um, uh, I mean, he's not. This is not, not a guy who, again, is necessarily. He hasn't hit for a ton of power yet, or anything like that, to impress us to that point. Uh, and a lot of things with him are projectable, but it, it's uh, the, the, a little bit of instability in his base. I mean, I think that there are some things that were, that were easily questionable coming in. Uh, some things you could doubt about his um, 
his his uh, his play discipline a little bit, at least in short term projections. So I think that it's just a player who was just, I mean, it was you know all of his fantasy value kind of centered on what he did last season, uh, and I don't think that uh, that was, I mean, slowly but surely. You know, uh, maybe odds are that he kind of turns it around as the season progresses, as the knee becomes healthier. Uh, but this, again, this is a player who's still very much in development. Uh, I mean, the one thing that's unquestionable about him is his ceiling for defense. And maybe, who knows, maybe he's already hit that, but it's fantastic. There's no question about that. And that's always going to make him a part of the lineup. Um, and, and player you would definitely consider projectable, I think, uh, because I don't think that the, the power has shown up in, uh, in, in large part because this is a player who is not, I don't think he's physically matured. And you can see that in you know just the, the height weight listing. Um, I mean, you, you look at him, he's still kind of a stick. Uh, you know, relative other players, he's going to slowly fill out. I don't think there's really any question about that. He looks like a frame that can slowly add meat to it, and I think I mean that'll that'll help him translate, especially in Baltimore, uh, translate into some more power numbers. But it's a player who is still far from a finished product, and uh, because of that, there's still there's still some. I mean, it's going to be difficult for him to achieve bust status at this point uh, in terms of prospecthood because he's 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 already a good player. Um, he's just not necessarily a great player and there's still a very, you know, there's still a very reasonable chance that he doesn't ever achieve great player, at least great hitter status. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he develops as one. I, yeah, I, I, I could, I think we've delineated kind of the case for and against a little bit. And if, in order to just adjudicate a little bit, I would say, I don't know, I'm not sure if you agree, but maybe a better pickup in dynasty than redraft. Yes. You know? Yeah. A better buy low just because there is some ceiling that he hasn't gotten to probably. And even if it doesn't include a lot of stolen bases, yeah, there is that opportunity for power as he fills out. He's 21. I did have research that said that power peaks a little bit earlier than people think, but it was 25 and 26. So he's still, you know, uh, on the right side of that. So, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I, I am optimistic long-term. Like you said, I do think he's a better target and a better, I mean, he's not a bad buy low in, in Dynasty, and I do like yes, yes, do like him more in Dynasty, especially than than in redraft. Uh, Want to get to some uh, some some requested topics uh, quickly, and uh, I mean, there may not be a lot to say about Carlos Gonzalez. Um, latest news is uh, this is a I'm not sure how really disappointing this news is, but there, he was expected to have uh, exploratory surgery on his left index finger Tuesday. I want to clarify, and this is you know, you know it said. Is it, this is the same finger that he had had a problem with the offseason, and I confirmed that uh, in the last time we talked about him. Uh, both both incorrect on that. I apologize for confirming. I thought it was, uh, but turned out we've been corrected. It is not the case. Uh, but So it's a different injury, but uh, they are having exploratory surgery and you know, waiting to hear the results. Uh, but uh, and reader wants to know is this is this a guy you want to buy because the time off would be good for him and his legs he's always had some problems with those uh, is this in general a guy that uh, you can be optimistic about the rest of the season because the time off is a good thing for him uh, I think that it actually is bad news because if it was the same finger then at least we knew what was going on now it's like oh god he's just breaking fingers left and right <laughs> <laughs> and I you know, exploratory. So maybe the ligament isn't isn't torn or whatever. But uh, they're going to go in there and they're going to find out. And I wouldn't. I would definitely not trade for him in between that. I wouldn't want to trade for him. And then they're like, oh, you know, it's really torn ligament or whatever. And we um, we had to fix it, and he's out three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what I mean, 
I, I totally agree. I think that just primarily concerns me. I mean, that it's, it's uh, that they even felt the need to do exploratory surgery as opposed to just saying, uh, you know, MRIs or whatever, you know, whatever tests that they could run to clear this up. Uh, let's go, let's, let's open it up and see what's going on in there. And right. I mean that, that, you know, that often results in just the opportunity to fix something if necessary. But uh, I mean, it just it smells like there's a potential here for a little bit longer of an absence than folks had anticipated. So um, yeah, this is not a guy I want to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, yeah, not, not anything I want to be trading a significant piece for. I mean, I guess if you could buy him low, but uh, there's not really anybody willing to do that. I would, I would imagine. Uh, and uh, another another player who's, who's definitely struck one of our readers' interest is uh, what he has called the quote unquote new Brett Lowry. Uh, he's certainly uh, kind of recaptured the power that he uh, well redisplayed the power that he showed in his was it 2011 debut. I mean, it seems so long ago, and since then we've kind of been perennially 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 perennially. Whew, that was a tough one. Uh, uh, disappointed in him. Um, and, but uh, he's, and he's, he's slowly bringing the average up, uh, some encouraging things. I mean, I think that that was just pretty much, uh, no question he was going to eventually do that, but the power is, is really sunken in. Is this a player you can classify as an upper tier second baseman now too early to say, I, I think it's, I mean, it, it, a lot of reason to be optimistic that this is the case now. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he's, a, he's teased us a little bit before still maybe not entirely out of the woods as far as development, uh, body wise and health wise uh he's not entirely out of the woods there uh but uh, i mean it's a great great venue for the uh, for him to be displaying the power and he certainly has a great surroundings there in that lineup uh what do you what do you what are you talking about with the with the uh with the development the body and stuff was that just about? uh well i mean so uh he is i mean he's certainly not necessarily reached physical peak but he's very close to it he probably actually i mean he's uh, mid twenties at this point is really getting into. Uh, so, I mean, he's pretty close and at, at, at going along with that, I mean, I guess you'd say he's approaching his power peak, but, uh, it maybe some, some reason to think that he's not quite there yet, but, uh, uh, or it's, a, it's at least a possibility. I mean, I think overall, it, it seems like he's slowly consolidating the skills, bringing everything together. Uh, is he, yeah. But, uh, in terms of that, I mean, it, I'm hesitant and perhaps it's just because, I mean, uh, I've, uh, I don't want to say I've been burned because I haven't uh, quite bought into him yet, but uh, a little hesitant to classify him as an upper tier second baseman, but I, he's certainly headed in the right direction. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. For once, I'm sort of, I don't know. I don't know what I have to add to that. Um I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's a hard player to get a read on because I think, I mean, I would have to. See, I want to see like uh, what his batted ball distances are and home run distances are and things like that because I mean it's, it is it is a very all friends friendly yard in Toronto. Um, I mean I think that it uh, the yard offers a possibility that uh, that uh, there can be, you know this there could this could somewhat be just like um, kind of some extreme outliers in his power production and this could be a par- partially a result of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I've, I've, I've kind of said that this was coming all along. Um, I've always thought that Laurie uh, had at least league average power. And um, I'm actually just kind of, I guess why I'm stumped is that I'm, I'm kind of upset he's not stealing bases anymore. So, you know, I, I thought of him as a 15-15 guy 
sort of 275, 15-15 guy. I have no idea why his, his batting average on balls in play is depressed again in the, for a second straight season. Um, and I can't, I can't really think of a reason for that. So I, he's, he just dumps me because... Line drive rate is down and, power, and fly ball rate is up, and perhaps that's manifested in the power, uh, but also limits his ceiling for batting average. Yeah, but you know, line drive rate is just not sticky year to year. And in one year, he had a totally league average ground ball, a uh, uh, line drive rate. Of course, that year he hit more ground balls and fly balls. So okay, there's a, probably a swing plane thing going on, um, and maybe he's altered his swing plane from a ground ball heavy one to more fly ball heavy one for power. Um, but um, you know, I believe in his in his skill set. I believe in his tools. I think he has you know, decent power and he's pretty athletic and he's a very great, very good defender at third. So I think he can handle second. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is probably about what he can do. I mean, I think he's probably like a two sixty twenty guy as opposed to the two seventy five fifteen fifteen guy that I thought he was based on his old ground, ground ball mix. So you get you get me going. Uh, I will actually say something about every player. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I just I've been Laurie stumps me because I've liked him and hated him and liked him and hated him, and he's been like four different players in four different years. And I and there's also like the real life stuff where it's like, you know, Laurie's a little bit Brett Laurie's a little bit crazy on the field, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I I don't know uh, I I. Will uh, buy him in batting average leagues. I do think he'll steal a few more bags before the end of the season. Uh, but maybe he's uh, going forward kind of like a 260-20 guy where he has one peak year where everything locks in and he hits 280 with 30 homers. I mean, that's, I think that's the kind of talent he has. Or, you know, but um, you know, not, the, not the 2020 I thought was coming. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's interesting to note, for instance, that uh... – but I, I, I like, in general, I mean, I think, yeah, sooner or later, I think this is the player I expected to emerge. Um, uh, and I think I think what's interesting about the stolen base attempts is uh, the Blue Jays have, have been, in general, one of the less aggressive teams in the majors this season. Um, among, in the, in the bottom third, as far as stolen bases go, and the bottom third, as far as attempts go, Um and it makes me wonder, John Gibbons has always kind of struck me as a conservative manager. And maybe in part, they didn't really curtail that last season because they, they sucked and it didn't really matter. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's disappointing regardless that he hasn't attempted. I don't think he's attempted one. Is that correct? I mean, I, it, yeah. that's, that's, that is a little surprising. I mean, I think he's still, I mean, he still might end up with a handful and, and that's, but, but it's, if Edwin's coming up to walk the parrot, man, you're not going to take off. So, right. I think that that's, that seems to be that's sort of kind of where I was going with is I think that there's a potential that uh, Gibbons's influence here on the team philosophy is that I got some dudes who hit home runs a lot and I don't really see the need to run myself out of a potential run because of that because and this is a team that walks a lot so uh, they're certainly creating you know stone base opportunities for themselves potentially but uh, it's more so it's an opportunity to score a run because the next guy is Jose Bautista or Edward Encarnacion or Adam Lind or Juan Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all guys that don't have speed really in their repertoire, um, but they do hit the ball potentially a long way. Oh. So uh, it's overall, yeah. Um, Got to like Brett Lowry. Uh, 
certainly like him as long, especially if he's, as long as he's keeping that second base eligibility. I think as he get into third base, you know, anything uh, with the questionable depth at, at, at uh, or uh, with the questionable depth at third base uh, at times. I mean, it's, but it's looking like a potentially deeper position down the road that it's at least to me it is. I think it, and uh, I mean it's it, he becomes a little less attractive there, but um, you know, overall, I mean, you have to like. Uh, what you're getting out of him, and, and certainly could be a guy that's like uh, in, in the tier below the Kipnis, Canoes, et cetera, uh, down the road. That's right, and I think it's about time for me to head to the park. Uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. Well, uh, we appreciate everyone uh, for joining us for episode 127. We have a number of other topics that really intrigue us, uh, and we're going to be getting to, and you can certainly depend on us to get to them uh, in the Thursday edition. Uh, we thank you for joining us for the sleeper and the bust, as always. And, uh, and ask us ask us on Twitter if you've got more questions. Use the comments um, also. Or do we try to, to get to your questions. We, we prioritize them above uh, our stupid ramblings. Uh, we, we actually did that. Uh, today in a in a team meeting, we decided you are more important than we are. So <laughs> please tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Yes, we we enjoy that too, uh, especially uh, for uh, we get a lot of poignant questions and uh, appreciate that very much. So, thank you all once again, and uh, we look forward to speaking at you next time.